one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Monday, September 3rd. It is 8.28 p.m. where I live in Pullman, Washington on the West Coast. Uh, and this episode is going to be really long. Look, I've got a lot to say today, and I've learned from the past. When I have something to say, just get it out. Don't wait till Wednesday. Get everything you can out now. We're going to talk a lot about college football. It's pretty self-explanatory. Opening week, week one of college football. But we also have a lot of NFL stories to talk about. I'm really, really excited. I want to start today with Nick Saban. So on Saturday, Alabama beat Louisville 51-14. to And in the postgame interview, immediately after the game, Nick Saban, Alabama's coach, was angry. He snapped at Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor is a journalist. And uh, she asked him a question about the quarterbacks. He did not like that. And I want to first comment on this. Nick Saban does not need to apologize to anybody when he snaps at them. He's Nick Saban. He can do whatever he wants. But also, there was a reason why Nick Saban reacted the way he did. Nick Saban was setting a boundary. I know he apologized. I don't think he needed to. Nick Saban doesn't want to talk about the quarterback situation. He's setting a boundary. I don't want to talk about this. He should be able to say whatever he wants. He's got six national championships I like the, what Nick Saban did. I think it's okay for him to treat the media however he wants. He can get away with it. It's who he is. I don't think you need to yell at someone. I'm not saying that's the way to go, but it's Nick Saban. Again, he can do whatever he wants. But after he snapped at Maria Taylor, there was another thing that I really loved. This is the key to what Nick Saban said. Nick Saban said, when we ex- executed and did what we were supposed to, we played really well. So Nick Saban said, we played well and we did our jobs. But next, he was highly critical of his team. Nick Saban said this. We had way too many penalties in the game. We shot ourselves in the foot a bunch, made a lot of errors on defense. We've got a lot of work to do. Basically, he was not satisfied with the the way that they beat Louisville. (laughs) It's interesting, man. Nick Saban won a game 51 to 14, and he was angry afterwards. (laughs) They beat an SEC team. He was mad. That is so encouraging. That is why Nick Saban is such a great coach. And it's why he's such a great leader. There's a reason why Nick Saban has six national championships. See, complacency is something everybody has to fight. When you have a little bit of success, it's easy to get comfortable, to get relaxed. I'm I'm still working hard for Strong Opinion Sports. I'm waiting for this show to pop, to really explode, to get a big viral video or someone writes an article about me, whatever. And then I'll explode a bunch more subscribers. But here's the thing. I'm ready for that moment. Eventually, it's going to come. Eventually, I'm going to get some recognition I think I deserve. And when that happens, I'm not going to celebrate. I'm not going to get all excited about a small victory. I'm going to put my head down and keep working. Warren Buffett is the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway. He's a net worth of $86.7 billion. Warren Buffett still asks for change when he gets coffee. He asks for exact change down to the penny because Warren Buffett knows it's never enough. No matter how much money he has, he never has enough. What drives a man like Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, the CEO of Amazon? What makes that guy keep going? Because a guy like Jeff Bezos, Nick Saban, the guy who's the top of the world knows it's not enough to sit on the laurels of your previous success. Your previous successes are never enough. The Eagles hung a poster celebrating their Super Bowl in their locker room. And Malcolm Jenkins, one of their players, really hates it. And I think it's so cool. And that's what I would compare to Nick Saban. You don't want to get caught up on your previous successes. Nick Saban knows how hard it's going to be to motivate his players down the road. 
If you look at Alabama's schedule, it is a complete cakewalk. They have two tough games all year. On November 3rd, Alabama plays LSU. And on November 24th, they play Auburn. That's it. That's the only tough games this year for Alabama. So it's going to be, the challenge is not going to be winning games. Alabama's going to win a ton of games. The hardest part of Alabama's schedule is going to be when they smash Arkansas. They beat Missouri by 30, and then right after that, dominate Tennessee all in a row. That's going to be hard because you got to keep going. you got to put your foot on the gas and keep going. That will be Alabama's biggest fight this year. They're probably going to win another national championship. But they're only going to do it if they keep their foot on the gas and keep going. That is why Nick Saban was so angry and fired up after the game. He knows how hard it's going to be to keep the foot on the gas. I don't know, man. It's interesting. It is so interesting. Alabama's got an NFL quarterback. They have an incredible, incredible amount of depth on their roster. And what the depth does for Alabama is that says there's a bunch of competition. If you don't do your job when you get your opportunity for the University of Alabama, if you screw up, there's another guy right behind you who is also a huge top recruit. I love that about Alabama. If Alabama can keep their foot on the gas, they will win a national championship, but they got to do it. I know it's interesting. I'm, I, I'm incredibly excited to watch Alabama, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. I, uh, I just hope that they can keep their foot on the gas. And that is why Nick Saban, to me, is a, such a great leader. He understands that complacency is the biggest struggle for Alabama this year. Okay, we have a huge show today. A bunch of stuff I want to talk about. We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan losing to Notre Dame. What is the verdict on Nick's, uh, Jim Harbaugh? Is Jim Harbaugh a great coach? We'll talk about it. I have a great take. I'm really proud of. We have a huge story in the NFL. Khalil Mack was traded to the Bears and then signed to a massive contract that set records. We're going to react to that. We have a ton of football news. We're going to talk about the 49ers running back out for the season towards ACL. I think the Buffalo Bills are, are really in trouble. Uh, and I think Nick Saban manipulated his backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts. At the end of the show, I'm going to break down all of the quarterback performances from week one of college football. Talk about the guys who are potential top NFL draft picks. And uh, at the end of the show, the last thing I'm going to talk about is a massive story in the NBA that kind of got buried. People forgot about the story because of college football this week. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you like the show as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. Okay, um, I make my show in a vacuum. See, I'm really afraid of something today. Uh, it is 8, 8.30 p.m. at night, um, and I'm, I'm really afraid that my Jim Harbaugh take is going to be something someone has already said today. And, that, and that's the scariest part of doing this show. I'm quite open, quite frank about it. I don't listen to any other NBA media outlets or any other sports media outlets until after my show goes live. I, I put my head down. I close my blinders. I only worry about myself. And, and it's really frustrating because I'm a small creator, which means that people often accuse me of stealing big-time shows' ideas. I don't, and I rarely get credit for my own ideas, which is really frustrating, kind of annoying. Um, and the only way for me to combat that is to get my show out before everybody else's. Sadly, that's just not possible. I do my best, but I work alone. I'm the only person doing this show. And uh, I have four jobs. I have a bunch of college classes. I'm probably never going to be the first person to share my opinion. But what I do always promise, I'll be honest— authentic, and I, I guarantee this show will be interesting no matter what. That is the goal of this show is to be interesting. So I, I want to repeat this. These are my thoughts. These are my ideas. Nobody else's. And I'm really, really proud of this episode. I hope you enjoy it.
Um, so let's move on to Michigan. On Saturday, Michigan lost to Notre Dame 20, uh, 17 to 24. And despite the score, I know the score kind of makes it sound like it was a close game. Notre Dame dominated Michigan. Michigan came out and did not look ready to play. I watched the Notre Dame receivers were catching every single pass thrown their way. The Notre Dame's defensive line dominated. It's interesting. Michigan only ran for 58 yards. That's not good. And Michigan's offense didn't score a touchdown until there was two minutes and 18 seconds left in the game. And Michigan's only touchdown in the first half, ironically, came off of a kickoff. Michigan did not look good. Michigan got steamrolled by Notre Dame. And it's Jim Harbaugh's fault. Jim Harbaugh is the reason why Michigan got beat so badly by Notre Dame. See, if you're at a funeral and the kids, if you're at a funeral funeral and your kids are screaming and yelling and freaking out because they weren't told how to react and how to behave at a funeral, do you blame the parents or the kids? You blame the parents because the parents did not prepare their kids for that situation. Michigan was not ready to face Notre Dame, and that's Jim Harbaugh's fault. So many people are calling for Jim Harbaugh's job. I don't know that that's, I think that's a little extreme, but I want to talk about that notion because we're learning kind of who Nick, who Jim Harbaugh is. So here's my perspective on Jim Harbaugh. And you can make all the, people make a ton of arguments to say, you know, Jim Harbaugh never beat Ohio State. He can't beat Michigan State. He loses on the road all the time. Look, say whatever you want. Here's the facts about Jim Harbaugh. In three years at Michigan, Jim Harbaugh is 10 and 3, 10 and 3, and 8 and 5. Jim Harbaugh has been to three bowl games. He's won one of them. I mean, he does have a 1 and 2 losing record in bowl games. But every single year Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan, they have been to a bowl game. And then you got to consider what was Michigan like before Jim Harbaugh got there? See, before Jim Harbaugh got there, there were seven years with two coaches, Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke. In those seven years, Michigan was 46 and 42. They won 52% of their games. They had like a random, they had a random 11 and 2 season, but they also had a season that was 3 and 9. They had a 5 and 7 season. And they, they went to four bowl games in seven years. So they were 1 and 3 in those bowl games. Again, in those seven years, they won 52% of their games. That's not good. So Jim Harbaugh steps in. He's, he's 28 and 12 since getting to Michigan. He wins 70% of his games, and every single year Jim Harbaugh has been at Michigan, they've gone to a bowl game. Doesn't mean they win, but it means they go. We now know what Jim Harbaugh is, but we also know what he is not. See, Jim Harbaugh's a coach that wins 70% of his games. But I think it's interesting, Jim Harbaugh's going to get fired for the same reason Mark Richt got fired by Georgia a couple years ago. See, a couple years ago... Mark Richt was a great coach for Georgia. He averaged 10 wins a year. But the problem was he was always overshadowed by Nick Saban at Alabama. Nick Saban was off winning titles, losing one, two games a year. Mark Richt was a good coach, but he wasn't good enough. Jim Harbaugh wins 70% of his games. It's encouraging. The problem is Urban Meyer at Ohio State wins more. Urban Meyer is 74 and 8 at Ohio State. He's got, he wins 90% of his games. Jim Harbaugh is going to get fired, and it's because of Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Again, averaging 70%, winning 70% of your games, averaging 10 wins a season, that looks great until you look at Ohio State and you realize, oh, Ohio State's unbelievable. 
So I repeat, we know what Jim Harbaugh is. He's fun. He's a solid coach. He gives us good sound bites. He's enjoyable. He takes his team to bowl games every year. He wins 70% of his games. But again, we also know what Jim Harbaugh is not. And Jim Harbaugh, sadly, is not Urban Meyer. Jim Harbaugh lives in the shadow of Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer is a lot, is a next step above Jim Harbaugh. Eventually, Michigan's going to get tired of Jim Harbaugh. They're going to move on. I'm not saying it's right. I would keep Jim Harbaugh. I like him. He wins games. He's still better than it was. He's better than most college coaches. Would you rather go back to being 52%? I don't think so. But eventually, Jim Harbaugh's going to get fired from Michigan. Because he's the highest paid employee in Michigan. He's the highest paid state employee in the state of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh is. And that means people expect national championships. They don't want just to win 70% of their games. They want you to be Urban Meyer. They want you to win 90% of your games. Jim Harbaugh isn't enough for the expectations of Michigan. Sadly, sad but true. He's going to get fired because of Urban Meyer. We should take a minute to appreciate Notre Dame's head coach, Brian Kelly. Because I don't, I don't really talk about Brian Kelly much at Notre Dame. I think he's somewhat, seems like he's always angry. And I don't, I don't, I've never really appreciated how good of a coach he was. So in nine years at Notre Dame, Brian Kelly win, has won 67% of his games. He's taken his team to a national championship. He's not a bad coach. He's made seven bowl appearances in nine years. At Notre Dame, he's won four of those seven bowl appearances. I think it's interesting. A lot of, one of the reasons why Brian Kelly does not get a lot of notoriety and a lot of credit at Notre Dame is simply because people don't like Notre Dame. I don't like Notre Dame. You know, my rival high school quarterback is actually their backup, and that bothers me. I don't like him. We competed every day, and I, I feel like he doesn't deserve to be there. <laughs> um, but that's my own personal bias. A lot of people don't like Notre Dame for all kinds of reasons. Another reason why we don't really credit Brian Kelly as much is because he doesn't win as much as coaches like Urban Meyer or Nick Saban. But 60%, that's, excuse me, 67% of your game. That's almost 70%. He's no slouch. He does well at Notre Dame. And I'm pretty, I'm really happy that Notre Dame is stuck with Brian Kelly all these years. Uh, Say what you want. Every single year, Notre Dame plays a tough schedule. Or yeah, Notre Dame plays a tough schedule. Play USC, Stanford, this year, Michigan, Every, if you look at their schedule historically, they're always playing Big Ten top 25 teams. And they don't have a conference. It's, it's really interesting to me. And it, you know what it looks like this year is that it looks like Notre Dame could finally make the college football playoff. It wouldn't shock me. Their defensive line is fantastic. I just wanted to give a shout out to Brian Kelly. If I'm going to talk about Jim Harbaugh and berate him for years, I wanted to give some credit to Brian Kelly. He won on Saturday. He played, he looked, his team looked really, really good. And so it's, it's worth giving credit to Brian Kelly. Let's shift gears to the NFL. The Raiders just traded their best defensive player, Khalil Mack, to the Chicago Bears. Khalil Mack has been, uh, in four four NFL seasons, Khalil Mack has been a pro bowler three times. He was once in 2016 the defensive player of the year. Look, Khalil Mack is a great, great defensive end, and I want to break down this trade and tell tell you why I think both sides won the trade. The Raiders benefited from the trade, and so did the Bears, quite obviously. So in in this trade, the Raiders got two first-round draft picks. They got the 2019 draft pick from the Bears, and they also got their 2020 first-round draft pick. The Raiders also received their 2019 sixth-round pick. Meanwhile, so the the Raiders got two first-round draft picks and a sixth-round pick. In the trade, the Bears received Khalil Mack, fantastic defensive end, and they got the Raiders' 2020 second-round pick. 
plus another conditional 2020 pick, a fifth-round conditional pick, depending on how well Khalil Mack does. Again, I, I like this trade for everybody. I like this trade for the Raiders. I like this trade for the Bears. Many people mocked the trade. A lot of people online were freaking out. Why would the Raiders do this? This is terrible, horrible trade, bad idea. I don't know. I disagree. I, I've been pretty consistent on this. I think Khalil Mack was asking for too much money. And John Gruden agreed. The Raiders head coach John Gruden agreed with me. He said the price was just too high. Remember, Khalil Mack was holding out from the Raiders. He wanted a new contract. The Raiders refused. He said, we're not going to give you more money. We'd rather just trade you away to the Bears. Now it's the Bears issue. And the Bears immediately signed Khalil Mack to a massive deal. They signed him to the largest contract for a defensive player in NFL history. It's kind of funny. You know, Aaron Donald had that, had that title for one day. One day, Khalil Mack said, nope, now it's mine. So Khalil Mack's contract extension is six years worth $141 million, $90 million guaranteed, and $23.5 million a year. I've said this all along. It never made sense for the Raiders to pay that much for Khalil Mack. I'm glad they didn't. Khalil Mack now accounts for 13% of the Bears' salary cap. He's a defensive end. That's too much. He's not a quarterback. I would not give a defensive end that much money. I mean, look at the, Bron the Broncos last year. The 2017 Broncos had Von Miller, one of the best defensive ends in all of football. They went 5-11. and Because no matter how good your defensive end is, if you don't have an impact quarterback, if you don't have Aaron Rodgers... Even Kirk Cousins, you're not going to win games. I've said this over and over and over again. I encourage you to go back to previous podcasts. J.J. Watt was the best defensive lineman in the NFL for years. In those years, he, a year he, there was a year he won Defensive Player of the Year, and his team went 2-14. and 14. His coach got fired. J.J. Watt's teams repeatedly have gone 9-7. and seven. A defensive lineman does not have as great of an impact on wins as a quarterback or a wide receiver. It's just the truth. It's the honest truth. I would not pay a defensive lineman over $20 million. They just don't have enough of an impact on a game. So I don't, I don't really like the fact that the Bears gave $23.5 million to Khalil Mack. However, I don't blame them. So first, I'm glad the Raiders shipped off Khalil Mack. I'm glad they got him off to the NFC North. It's great. The Raiders will never have to play Khalil Mack. And they got two first-round picks. So four first-round picks for the Raiders in the next two years is going to have more of an impact on their roster and on their ability to win games than Khalil Mack would have had. The Raiders did the right thing by trading away Khalil Mack. But I think the Bears, while I would not have given as much money to Khalil Mack as they did, it makes more sense for the Bears to give Khalil Mack $23.5 million than it would have for the Raiders. Here's why. The Raiders already have a good, excuse me, the Bears already have a good defense. The Bears had a good defense before Khalil Mack. Now their defense just got a little bit better. They have a good secondary. Khalil Mack needs help. You're not going to have a, as much of an impact from a player like Khalil Mack if you don't have a great defense. But because the Bears have a lot of good defensive players around Khalil Mack, he'll have more of an impact there. Again, Khalil Mack is going to be more of an impact on the Bears because they have already a good defense. They have good players around Khalil Mack. That's why it makes sense for the Bears. Think about this. The Bears had a great defense last year. Now consider all of the ways that they've improved. Last year in 2017, the Bears were 30th in offense. 30th. They had a horrible quarterback. Now they have a new offense. They have a new head coach, Matt Nagy. They have a new offensive coordinator, Mark Helfrich. What that's going to do is having a better offense will help benefit the defense. 
time of possession. Helps them, they'll score more points to help them win games. It's going to be good. I expect the offense for the Bears to improve, and that helps the defense. The other thing is, obviously, the Bears added Khalil Mack. The Bears' defense is significantly better today than it was this time last year because they added Khalil Mack and because they improved their offense. So that's why I think the Khalil Mack trade was good for both sides. I'm glad the Raiders avoided overpaying a good player, a player that would not have impacted them as much as having four draft picks in the next two years. If the Raiders can get four potential starters in the next two years from the NFL draft, that is a much better deal for them than having Khalil Mack. But the Bears benefited from this trade because they already have a good defense. They can insert Khalil Mack, and they're going to get better. They have players around him that will help Khalil Mack improve. I still think the Bears gave Khalil Mack 7 or $8 million more than I would have. I'd, I would not pay up any defensive player $23.5 million. That's simply too much. But hey, they got a really great defensive end, and they're going to now terrorize Aaron Rodgers. And that's, again, you know who was really, you know who noticed the Khalil Mack trade the most? Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was not excited when he found out, uh-oh, the Bears just got a top three defensive end in the entire NFL. Remember last year, Aaron Rodgers got hurt against the Vikings. And now he has to play against Khalil Mack two times a year. I'm, I'm nervous for Aaron Rodgers. I don't feel good about it. He fractured his collarbone in 2013 and again last year in 2017. Aaron Rodgers is 34 years old, which I know that's and the NFL's new 28 years old, but it's not good. It's going to be a tough, tough next couple of years for Aaron Rodgers. He's going to have to play the Vikings defense, who's incredibly good. The Bears defense is going to be really good. They have Khalil Mack. The Detroit Lions have Ziggy Ansah. Look, it's not going to be pretty for Aaron Rodgers. I'm concerned. I'm, I'm wondering if he's going to have any impact and get injured in the next couple of years. I really would be concerned. He's going to get hit a lot playing in that NFC North division. That's six games against great pass rushers. That is a major, major concern if you are Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about the ways that Nick Saban manipulated his quarterback, Jalen Hurts, his backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts. I'm going to tell you why the Bills need a veteran quarterback immediately, and there's a ton of other football stuff coming up. Later in the show, what I'm going to do is break down the quarterback performances from week one of college football. I'm only going to really talk about the guys that are potential NFL draft picks. And at the end of the show, remember, there's a massive NBA story that everybody missed. Everybody got so caught up in college football they did not see this massive NBA story. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I want to talk a little bit more about the Alabama quarterback situation, and I want to talk about Nick Saban. So Alabama's head coach, Nick Saban, waited until the last minute, till the very beginning of the Alabama-Louisville game to reveal who Alabama's starting quarterback was. And it's really interesting because it was so obvious. Tua Tungvaloa is significantly better than Jalen Hurts. Tua is a much, much better quarterback than the backup Jalen Hurts. And against Louisville, Tua was 12 for 16, 227 yards, two touchdowns passing. He ran for a touchdown. Look, he's, he's only a sophomore, but he looks like Russell Wilson. He looks like a fantastic, fantastic NFL quarterback. Now, Jalen Hurts, the backup quarterback, did play a little bit against Louisville. He was 5 for 9 at 70 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He was incredibly average. 
I think it's interesting. The most notable play for Jalen Hurts was one that he didn't make. Jalen Hurts missed a guy wide open over the middle. He, he could have had a touchdown if he'd only seen the guy. He missed him. And instead, Jalen Hurts ran for like a three, four-yard gain. That's Jalen Hurts in a nutshell. Jalen Hurts is a solid backup. He makes positive plays, but he also doesn't make the big plays that the starting quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, makes. I think it's just so obvious. Tua is a better quarterback. Tua is so, so much a better quarterback. And I don't know why, I don't know why Nick Saban really drew it out. And actually, I have a theory. I think, I think I know why Nick Saban drew out the quarterback battle. The reason why Nick Saban waited so long to announce the starting quarterback for Alabama was so that the backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts, didn't transfer. See, Nick Saban is concerned with winning championships. He doesn't care what's best for Jalen Hurts. He doesn't hate the guy, but he wants to do everything he possibly can to help Alabama win a national championship. If that means having Jalen Hurts, he's going to do what he can to keep him around. I think if, if Tua Tungavloa does get hurt, Jalen Hurts can still drive the Maserati down the road. He, he can keep it going for a little while. He can win the national championship. He can do something. But I don't know. I, I truly I truly believe Nick Saban likes Jalen Hurts. I don't think he dislikes him. I mean, you got to think about the things that Jalen Hurts have, has done for Alabama recently. I mean, Jalen Hurts, had, he won a national championship two years ago. He's been an absolute professional in the way he's dealt with this quarterback controversy. And Jalen Hurts helps to a tongue of Loa. He's a great backup. Great backups help the starting quarterback. They help the team win games by getting the starting quarterback ready to go. I mean, that's why guys like Josh McCown play for 15, 16 years in the NFL. But I have to point out, it must have been so obvious all summer, all through spring football. It must have been incredibly obvious. Look, Tua is the better quarterback. You watched last night. It's not even close. Nick Saban waited a long time. He strung along Jalen Hurts. Nick Saban manipulated his backup quarterback, Jalen Hurts. I mean, girls do this all the time. They give guys hope. They string guys along. They'll, they'll, keep, they'll give you hope that they're interested, but she's never, ever going to commit to you. They just do that to keep you from moving on so they can have you in their back pocket. That is what Nick Saban did to Jalen Hurts. Again, I repeat, Jalen Hurts manipu- was manipulated by Nick Saban. And I think what Nick Saban did is totally justifiable. I don't... I don't hate him for it, but it is true. You just got to wonder, is Jalen Hurts being the backup what's best for Jalen Hurts? I don't know. Was Jalen Hurts given false hope? Yeah, I think so. I don't think there was ever a chance for Jalen Hurts to be the starting quarterback at Alabama. Tua is better, so much better. But Alabama benefits from having a plan B. Alabama is much better because they have a backup quarterback ready to go. Look, Jalen Hurts is not a great quarterback, but he could start at other schools. He could start at Florida Atlantic or maybe another SEC school, a Pac-12 school for sure. But there's no doubt in my mind that Nick Saban strung along Jalen Hurts. He gave him false hope by not naming a starter for a long time. See, Nick Saban put the needs of himself and Alabama ahead of the needs of Jalen Hurts. Like, I think it was the right thing to do, but you can't argue. He did manipulate Jalen Hurts. Nick Saban said, I I don't want to give you any opportunity to transfer. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you around. Again, not a bad thing. But you and I, we we have to agree. Nick Saban, without a shadow of a doubt, manipulated Jalen Hurts. I know it's going to make people angry, but it's so obvious. 
You're telling me it took them six months to decide, oh, Tua, you know, Tua really is the better quarterback. No, you can see that day one. Watch the guys throw a football. You know Tua Tungvaloa is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. And I just want to point out the fact that Nick Saban, without a shadow of a doubt, strung along Jalen Hurts, kept him there because he didn't want him to transfer. And I don't know that that was best for Jalen Hurts, but it was definitely best for Alabama. Because again, if Tua gets hurt, they're going to be okay. I don't know. Okay. We got some news from the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills traded away their oldest quarterback, A.J. McCarron. They traded him to the Oakland Raiders. And what's left in Buffalo, there's only two quarterbacks left on the roster. It's ugly. It's bad. They have Josh Allen, the first-round quarterback. Uh, They picked him last year in the draft. And they have Nathan Peterman, who was a rookie last year. He's now in his second year. So you have Nathan Peterman, who's in his second year in the NFL, and you have, again, Josh Allen, a rookie. This is all so, so bad. And to make it worse, they're starting Nathan Peterman week one. You have to get... The Bills must go out and sign a veteran quarterback so they can have a guy to mentor Josh Allen. Look around the league. Josh Rosen in Arizona has Sam Bradford, a veteran quarterback, to help him mentor him and get him ready. Sam Darnold in New York has Josh McCown. Baker Mayfield, that's Terod Taylor. Lamar Jackson even has Joe Flacco. There's nobody around to help mentor Josh Allen in Buffalo. I want to make a comparison. We just saw the, uh, the Denver Broncos release their 2016 first-round uh, draft pick at quarterback Paxton Lynch. And I want to point out, what did Paxton Lynch never have in Denver? Paxton Lynch never had a veteran quarterback helping him learn the ropes in the NFL. I think that's a big reason why Paxton Lynch never succeeded in the NFL. Last year, the Broncos quarterback room was Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, and Paxton Lynch. None of them are veterans. None of them have never ever had an older guy. I guess Trevor Simeon had... Peyton Manning for one year, but Trevor Simeon's not a veteran. There was nobody with wisdom and experience helping Paxton Lynch along the way. I mean, Paxton Lynch may have thought he was working hard. He may have thought he was watching film the right way. He may have thought he was getting better. But you need somebody with experience leading the way, helping guide you. There's a reason why when I work on cars, my older brother looks over my shoulder, tells me where to put the wrench. He helps me out. Andrew Luck had Matt Hasselbeck. Andrew Luck had all these great rookie years. He had great years early in his career. He had Matt Hasselbeck, a former Seattle Seahawks quarterback who led them to a Super Bowl, helping him out. Derek Carr had Matt Schaub. Josh Allen has nobody. If you look at the Buffalo Bills, they have nobody there to mentor Josh Allen. Nathan Peterman and Josh Allen are kind of getting thrown to the wolves. They're like, figure it out. Josh Allen needs a veteran quarterback helping him in the film room advising him how to deal with situations. So I, I can't state this enough. The Buffalo Bills need to go sign a veteran quarterback. Get somebody to help mentor Josh Allen. Because my fear is Josh Allen's going to turn out to be the, the next Paxton Lynch, a guy who had no one to mentor him, no one to help him along the way, who thought he was probably working hard. He probably thought he was doing everything right. He just didn't know. Without a veteran quarterback, a guy who's done it before, how can you know what you're missing if there's no one there to teach you? I believe the Buffalo Bills must go sign a veteran quarterback if they want to help develop Josh Allen. All right, let's shift gears back to college football. Um, 
We saw LSU just trounce Miami in their season opener. LSU smacked Miami 33-17, to and uh, the gap was much wider than the score uh, projects. I mean, it was 27-3 to at halftime. It was an ugly game. Fun first half to watch, and then it got kind of boring in the second half. And I, I want to I send a message to LSU fans. LSU fans should be incredibly excited. So in the last couple of years, LSU has been so frustrating to watch. Because every year, LSU has a team that can run the ball incredibly well. They always have a great defense. Their offensive and defensive lines are always fantastic. But LSU never appears to have a good starting quarterback. Every year, I go, that's your quarterback? That guy can't even throw. It's always, every single year watching LSU, it's so frustrating. Well, now they might finally have a guy. It looks like LSU might finally have a great quarterback. And that, if you're an LSU fan, is so, so exciting. See, in the offseason, LSU picked up Ohio State graduate transfer Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is an uh, interesting quarterback. I'm so excited to talk about him. And I'm excited to watch him. Last night, LSU looked like they finally had a quarterback worth watching. And look, the evidence was there. <laughs> they dominated Miami. It, again, it was 27-3 at halftime. Because LSU finally had some just even competitive, normal quarterback play. Look, it's a long season ahead. But I'm, I'm excited to watch what Joe Burrow looks like. Now, in the second half, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow was not as successful. So for the game, Joe Burrow finished. He was 11 for 24 at 140 yards passing. No touchdowns, no interceptions. The offense really slowed down in the second half. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. But there was one play that was just so exciting to me for LSU. There was a fourth and one. Fourth and one, the play clock's winding down. Joe Bur- or Burrow, the quarterback, remained completely calm. And he changed the play. He got LSU into the right play and got LSU the first down. That's awesome. That showed poise. And when I saw that happen, I was like, oh, no. LSU might have a great quarterback. I was really excited. Look again, LSU got conservative in the second half. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Again, it wasn't great. And in the postgame interview, Joe Burrow looked a little bit, I think, oversatisfied. I wish he would have said, yeah, I got to play better in the second half, something. So my fear is I hope that Joe Burrow doesn't get complacent. But man, the first half for LSU was so, so encouraging. I just hope he keeps working. But I'll say this, man. Joe Burrow got on my radar. I wasn't going to pay any attention to Joe Burrow until I watched the LSU-Miami game. I was like, wow. If LSU has a great quarterback, they could be terrifying. There's one part of Joe Burrow's story that's incredibly relatable to me. Is that he's, you know, we graduated already. He spends up uh, one, night, uh, one, one hour a night on college. He's a graduate student taking online classes. He said, I'm not here for school. I'm here for football. Joe Burrow's building his career, and that's how I feel about this show right now. Um, I think it's so awesome. Now, the other exciting thing about Joe Burrow is that he has two years of eligibility left. So I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited for LSU fans. And just, man, that first half against Miami, LSU had a spread offense. They did struggle with drops, but Joe Burrow just looks so poised, so confident. If LSU has a great quarterback, they are a terrifying thing. Because, again, every year, Great running back, great defense, great offensive and defensive lines. They just never can figure out the quarterback. If they can figure that out, LSU is a terrifying team that could make waves in college football this year. All right, the Oakland Raiders released Martavius Bryant, a wide receiver. And it's really sad. If you remember earlier in the year, Martavius Bryant was uh, acquired from the Steelers in a trade by the Raiders. And... uh 
They just he could never figure it out. Martavis Bryant could never play and and really meet reach his potential. He's he's such a talented guy that could just never figure it out. It's funny, John Gruden gave him a nickname. They called him the White Tiger. The reason why Martavis Bryant was called the White Tiger is John Gruden was referring to a place called Bush Gardens in Tampa Bay. And uh, you know, Bush Gardens had a there's a white tiger that would come out and you'd go there a bunch and Usually, the white tiger was in its cage, but every once in a while, it would come out to play. And that's how he described Martavis Bryant. He said every once in a while, Martavis Bryant would show these incredible flashes of greatness, but he just never was consistent enough. And it's just too bad for the Raiders that Martavis Bryant didn't work out. But I don't know that this move, by releasing Martavis Bryant, I don't know that it was just about Martavis Bryant. I think another dimension to this was that John Gruden was sending a message John Gruden was laying down the law with the Raiders because he's trying to change the culture. He doesn't care how talented you are. You must deliver or else he's not going to work with you. Basically, John Gruden's saying it's my way or the highway. That's why he traded Khalil Mack. He says, you do it my way or you're out. I'm not going to work with you. And I don't know if that approach is going to work in 2018 because, again, players are more empowered than ever. Things are changing. But I hope so. I hope John Gruden succeeds, but I don't think it was just about Martavis Bryant's inconsistency. I think it was also a a message to the Raiders locker room. Look, we didn't keep Khalil Mack. He wouldn't fall in line. We didn't keep Martavis Bryant because he wouldn't deliver. He wasn't consistent enough. John Gruden saying, my way or the highway, fall in line or you're out. Before we take another break, I want to mention Nick Foles. So the Eagles announced that Nick Foles is going to be their starting quarterback week one of the NFL season. Now, Nick Foles is such a controversial, polarizing quarterback, in my opinion. I don't think he's very good. He was the Super Bowl MVP last year, and he sold a bunch of jerseys. People are so excited about him. Um, If you looked at the preseason, he played in two games, and he had four turnovers. He had two fumbles, two interceptions, just played really, really ugly football. And despite the fact that Nick Foles played terribly in the preseason, and despite the fact that I think Nick Foles is incredibly overrated, I'm really, really glad the Eagles are starting Nick Foles week one. Even though the the Eagles are probably going to lose week one to the Atlanta Falcons because they're starting Nick Foles. It's okay. It's the right move because Carson Wentz, the starting quarterback for the Eagles, is coming off of an ACL injury. And my biggest fear is that the Eagles will, for some reason, decide to rush their decision and bring Carson Wentz back too early. I don't care if it takes a month, four games, three games. I, I don't care how long it takes. Do not rush Carson Wentz back onto the field. This is an MVP candidate quarterback. There's a long career ahead. What Carson Wentz's career, the potential for re-injuring him is not worth three games in 2018. Don't risk Carson Wentz's rest of his career because you're trying to get him back on the field a little bit quicker. Don't. Don't do it. If there's any concern at all, if you have any doubts about Carson Wentz, I would encourage the Eagles to let him stay on the bench. I don't care if you're losing. They play the Buccaneers week two. They'll be okay. Um, I, I just, what I don't want to do, I just don't want to see the Eagles rush Carson Wentz back before he's ready. Because he, again, he's too good to get re-injured or to hurt his career because he's trying to come back for a couple games early in the 2018 season. Again, he's got a 15, 16 year ahead of him. Don't rush Carson Wentz back. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that the Eagles are starting Nick Foles because if they have any doubts at all, they should not play Carson Wentz. All right, I'm going to take another short break. When I return, we're going to break down each of the top quarterbacks in college. How did they play? How, I want to react to their 
their week one games, tell you who I think is looking good currently for the NFL draft next year. Um, we're going to talk about a, Davis Webb was cut by the Giants. We're going to share, I'm going to share my thoughts on the 49ers running back tearing his ACL. He's out for the year. And then we're going to talk about this NBA story that nobody seemed to notice. Because again, everyone's kind of, we got so caught up on college football this weekend. A big NBA story happened and nobody noticed it happened. Remember, my name is Zach Schalmer. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. If you like Strong Opinion Sports, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schalmer. I will be right back. God dang it, I hate, you know what I hate is recording this late at night because I feel like everybody around me is just listening to me. I, don't, I just, it makes me so uncomfortable. I don't know anybody around me and I feel like they're all listening to my show and it just makes me feel so weird. I, I, I normally record about 1 p.m. At, you know, during the day and so doing a show this late at night just, I, I do not, I do not enjoy it at all. Um, so college football has officially begun and what that means is that the process of scouting quarterbacks in the NFL draft has also begun. So I, I've been tracking 11 quarterbacks through this college football season. I'm really excited to watch a couple guys. I want to see how people develop into NFL quarterbacks. And so this week, I want to share my thoughts on Will Greer, Garrett Stidham, Jake Browning, Justin Herbert, Drew Locke from Missouri, JT Daniels, Tua Tungavaloa, and a few other quarterbacks. Um, and I'm just going to break them down, share my thoughts, just my honest reaction. Do they look good? Do they look bad? Do they look like NFL quarterbacks? Why or why not? So I want to start with a guy who completely surprised me and came out of nowhere. I want to talk about Steven Montez, the junior quarterback out of the University of Colorado. So against Colorado State, Steven Montez was 22 for 25 at 338 yards passing, four touchdowns and an interception. And I was blown away. I, I did not expect this guy to be as good as he was. And uh, it just, he had a great deep ball. He looked incredibly efficient. I, I was so surprised. Now you got to remember, take all this with a grain of salt. Steven Montez played against Colorado State, who's a Mountain West team. He's supposed to absolutely dominate them. But I, I think this was the surprise of the weekend was the way that Steven Montez played for Colorado. It was just, man, it was surprising. He's, he's now on my radar. I wasn't going to pay any attention to Steven Montez, the quarterback from Colorado, until I saw this game. And I was like, wow, his deep ball's great. He looks good running. He looks good moving around the pocket. I was so, so impressed with Steven Montez, the Colorado quarterback. Uh, and it's worth noting that his team ran for 258 yards on 40 carries. So he was not, they had a really balanced offense. He wasn't asked to carry the offense passing, but he also wasn't a guy just handing the ball off every play. It's a balanced offense for Colorado. And uh, in the post-game interview, he looked incredibly, incredibly comfortable. I'd never seen the guy talk before. I'd never met him. He's not a guy I'm very familiar with. And uh, Steven Montez, man, he's a new guy to get on your radar. He looks like a fantastic quarterback. Only one game in. There's still time. You know, we got to see a lot more down the road. But uh, he looked really good last uh, Friday night for Colorado. I want to talk about Will Greer. Will Greer is the senior quarterback at West Virginia. And uh, he reminded me a little bit of the former Boise State quarterback, Kellen Moore. I mean, he has, he's got average arm strength. It's not great. But he's got great footwork. And look, Will Greer rarely makes the wrong decision uh, for West Virginia. So he was 22, 25 for 34 passing at 429 yards. Five touchdowns, no interceptions, and that's playing against an SEC defense in Tennessee. He just executed his offense. He did his job over and over and over again. And when I saw this, you know what I really thought of was, this is who the New England Patriots should draft. The Patriots should find a way to get Will Greer behind Tom Brady next year because he would excel in the Patriots offense. 
Um, what I really, really liked is he repeatedly kept just identifying the right massive matchup. He'd go, okay, that's a mismatch. I'm going to throw it up. He identified one-on-one coverage all the time. And he just threw up a lot of 50-50 balls. This is where I'm less encouraged. Uh, I felt kind of neutral about this. We didn't see Will Greer throw guys open as much as he just kind of threw the ball up and his receivers made plays. Um, and I just I wanted to note that his receivers did a lot of the heavy lifting for Will Greer. Uh, there was one really negative thing I saw from Will Greer I thought was worth mentioning. It was just a really bad decision, bad time management, bad ball management before the halftime. Um, his team was in field goal range, and he decided to run around and do a bunch of... He just tried to do too much. He almost took a sack. They would have been out of field goal range. He almost let the clock run out. Um, that's, it was just a bad play all around, just bad management. But Will Greer did get lucky, and I hope he learns from that. At the end of the half, if you're in field goal range, don't take a sack, don't run around, throw the ball away, just do the responsible thing. Um, and I think it's worth noting, just Will Greer tries to run too much. He thinks he's more of an athlete than he really is. He needs to learn to slide around in the pocket and stay calm. But all in all, I felt really positive. I, I loved what Will Greer showed, and uh, it was a really positive performance for him. He looked really good. I want to now talk about Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback, the junior quarterback from Auburn. So Jarrett Stidham played the University of Washington. He was 26 for 36, had 273 yards and a touchdown. What I liked about Jarrett Stidham was he just looked poised. And this was a big moment. They played Washington. It was nine versus six, a, a really a number nine ranked team in the nation versus a number six ranked team in the nation. He just looked comfortable. He, lo- he looked like the moment was not too big for him. And that is so encouraging if you're Auburn. Because again, Auburn has so many tough battles ahead. And the fact that their quarterback looked comfortable now is, is really, really positive. Um, he was really patient. He didn't force throws. He was willing to check down to the running backs. If there was nothing open, you know, Jarrett Stidham didn't force the ball into situations. And what I really was impressed with, they ran a trick play. They ran a flea flicker. And normally quarterbacks get it and they throw, they're like, I'm throwing it no matter what because that's how the play is designed. Uh, Jarrett Stidham didn't force it in. It wasn't open. It wasn't there. And he went and ran. He got positive yards and got a first down anyways. That is so huge. Is the, the restraint that Jared Stidham showed, not forcing the ball into bad situations. Um, he had this really great pass on the first drive. He threw this NFL-level fade pattern that I just was so impressed with. Um, now, there was a negative that I saw from Jarrett Stidham. He just had a lot of cheap completions. He's not running an NFL offense. He's running a lot of bubble screens and little short dinky passes. Um, but he does handle pressure really well, and that's encouraging. You watch the way Jarrett Stidham deals with pressure in his face. He, he slides around. He moves around very comfortably. Kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo does, actually. So I was very encouraged watching Jarrett Stidham. Let's not talk about Tua Tungavaloa, the quarterback from uh, Alabama, the sophomore quarterback. This guy's Russell Wilson. Tua Tungavaloa is fantastic. He's so fascinating and fun to watch. It just, I mean, I don't know. I'm excited for Alabama because they finally have an NFL-level starting quarterback. We Every year it's like, you know, Jake Coker, a bunch, you know, Jalen Hurts is an NFL quarterback. A.J. McCarron's hardly an NFL quarterback. Tua Tungavaloa is a first-round draft pick. He's a fantastic quarterback. He's the best quarterback Nick Saban has ever had. And uh, the game just looks easy for him. I mean, it's like he's playing in slow motion. Guys can't tackle him. He runs really well. Now, I, w- I want to make a... I know that Tua Tungavaloa is a left-handed quarterback. I know that he's a really big running guy, but he's not Tim Tebow. I've heard that a lot. People are like, you know, Tua looks like Tim Tebow the way he runs and throws. Just because he's left-handed, don't compare him to Tim Tebow. He looks like Russell Wilson. You can't t- He's really slippery. He escapes really well. He's got a better arm than Tim Tebow. Um, and I'm so encouraged and excited to watch. 
Tua Tungavaloa down the road. Now against Louisville, Tua was 12 for 16, 227 yards, had a touchdown running, had two touchdowns passing. And uh, man, he's just a future first round pick. He Tua Tungavaloa is just a fantastic, fantastic quarterback. And uh, he, I mean, it's very possible. If he stays at Alabama, they could win four in a row. That's how good he is. I also watched Justin Herbert, the quarterback from Oregon. <sighs> I was not impressed. I was, I was actually really ugh, discouraged watching Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert was 10 for 21, 281 yards passing. He did have five touchdowns. Awesome. I had a rushing touchdown. Um, but it was an ugly game for Justin Herbert. I mean, he had two interceptions. He looked bad. They're playing Bowling Green, and he looked just... Here's the word I would use. Justin Herbert did not look precise. He kind of sprayed the ball all over the place, had some really ugly incompletions. Again, two interceptions against a bad, lower-level team, mid-major. You shouldn't do that. Um, and I hear people all the time say that, you know, Justin Herbert might be a first-round pick, and they talk about his big play ability. And that's great. I'm, I'm happy he makes big plays, but big plays don't impress me as much as precision. That's, that's what an NFL quarterback does is they're consistently accurate. I think people are getting a little too caught up with the fact that you know, Justin Herbert's six foot six, two thirty three, rather than the fact that he's a great, accurate starting quarterback. I mean, I don't see precision. I don't see accuracy. I don't see the things I would love to see from a guy like Justin Herbert. I don't think he's a first round pick. I know that people are really excited about him, but I, right now, I'm not sold. I don't. I don't see what everyone else sees from him, and I, uh, I, I just, I'm not buying Justin Herbert yet. We'll see what happens, but right now, he does not look as good as everyone kind of sells him to be. Now, Jake Browning, the quarterback from Washington, he's a senior, um, and I, I think he's an NFL backup at best. I'm not impressed with Jake Browning. Look, he was 18 for 32 against Auburn, had 296 yards, which that's, that's cool, sure. Uh, had a one touchdown, one interception, but here's the thing with Jake Browning. Jake Browning has average arm strength. He's average footwork. But the, the worst thing that Jake Browning does, he's not good in big moments. When the pressure's on, he just doesn't handle it very well. He threw a really boneheaded interception uh, on Saturday. I think the athletes all around Jake Browning at University of Washington really help him and kind of pad his stats. But I'm, I'm not impressed with Jake Browning. I never have been. I've never really believed in him. And I, I'm, it just he continued my thought. He didn't look like he improved. He looked like a guy who, same old, same old guy. He's kind of an, uh, an Andy Dalton-level quarterback where he can win you games. He's not awful. But in the big moment when the bright lights come on, Jake Browning's not the guy you want playing quarterback for you. Let's talk about Shea Patterson. Shea Patterson is a junior quarterback at Michigan. <sighs> you know, Shea Patterson is not an NFL quarterback. He was 20 for 30, had 227 yards against Notre Dame, no touchdowns, an interception. Here's the thing. Shea Patterson's just not accurate enough. Growing up at quarterback camps, everyone would always tell you, aim small, miss small. So instead of aiming for a guy's body, aim for a really tiny spot on his chest. You aim for the button on his shirt, and then you hit somewhere around there. Shea Patterson just doesn't seem to understand that. He throws the ball in the general direction of a guy rather than at a guy's hands. You know, some quarterbacks have much better ball placement than Shea Patterson. You watch a guy like Will Greer. Will Greer hits his guy in the hands every time. Shea Patterson just isn't accurate enough. Not to mention he's got a weak arm. He's, he's kind of like Johnny Manziel, honestly, where his best trait is his ability to kind of squiggle out of things and run around. He's not really top-end speed. He doesn't have a lot of... Um, he doesn't have a great arm, doesn't have an accurate arm. He's not really fast. I don't know what you can say that Shea Patterson does well because he doesn't do anything well. He's, he's kind of a 6 out of 10 in every aspect. I don't know. 
I think that Shea Patterson could be a really good college quarterback, but NFL, no. If you're if you're looking at Shea Patterson from an NFL perspective, he's not an NFL quarterback. And, and you know, people always say he's he's Johnny Menzel without the off the field issues. Well, against Notre Dame, he had only 58 yards passing. I know he's dealing with cramping, but still, it just mm. Shea Patterson's a solid college quarterback. Not much else. How about Drew Locke? Drew Locke could very well be the number one quarterback chosen in the NFL draft next year. Um, but I, I didn't see anything we could really take away from his first game. Drew Locke played University of Tennessee Martin, which is a Division I AA school, not really competitive. He had he was 19 for 25, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, but it just, the level of competition is not much you can take away from it. Physically, he looked good. You know, he's 6'4", 225. I think he throws the best deep ball in all of college football, without a doubt. I mean, his arm is huge. But tall with a big arm, that's not enough for me to say, oh, you look like an NFL quarterback right now. Um, so I just kind of feel neutral about Drew Locke. We can't really take away anything from his performance this week. It's just not much you can share. How about JT Daniels? JT Daniels is a true freshman quarterback from USC. And I love this kid. I'm so excited. You know, this kid should be a senior in high school, but he reclassified so he could go to college a year early. That's unheard of. Nobody does that. But I mean, so his first start against UNLV was really, really encouraging. I loved it. You know, I, I thought that I thought that JT Daniels might struggle a little bit, and that was not the case at all. He was 22 for 35, had 282 yards passing, one touchdown, uh, and just, I don't know, he, to some degree you could say that Drew, JT Daniels looked like a, a game manager, which means he's just handing off the ball and really protecting the football. But I don't, I just, he took some big shots. He, him and Amon Ross St. Brown, his best quarterback, uh, connected seven times, I think for 98 yards. It was a big deal. JT Daniels looks like a phenom. And I really what I would do is I would compare JT Daniels to Jake Frum. Jake Frum was Georgia's starting quarterback last year. He started as a true freshman. And uh, I think JT Daniels looks better, like a lot better. He's got a better arm. He makes quicker decisions. I, I really firmly believe JT Daniels is the next big thing in college football. How about Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow was the quarterback at LSU. And uh, man, so he really just had one encouraging half. He had an encouraging first half against Miami. And LSU got really conservative. I didn't believe in him after that. Um, but if he's the real deal, if Joe Burrow is the real deal for LSU, that's a huge, huge deal for their program. Again, he was only 11 for 24, had 140 yards. But the first half got my attention. That's what I wanted to say about Joe Burrow is I don't know that he's going to be great. We'll give him four games to really see if he sets, uh, settles in. But if he's the real deal for LSU, he's got two years of eligibility. That would be a fantastic, fantastic move for their program. Now, there's two guys I was really disappointed in. Um, I was so excited to watch Arizona's quarterback, Khalil Tate, against BYU, and he just was a massive, massive disappointment. Now, I thought the new head coach at Arizona, Kevin Sublin, would help Khalil Tate a little more. It just wasn't the case. I thought he was a potential Heisman candidate, and he just looked meh. I mean, here's the thing. Khalil Tate's strength is running. He only had 14 yards rushing. He only ran eight times. He had a touchdown, but 14 yards? He was 17 for 34 passing with 197 yards and a touchdown. Khalil Tate was just disappointing. I don't know that I'm going to track him anymore. I thought he might be a potential Heisman candidate, but he struggled against BYU, and that's really, really discouraging. Now, there's one person I left off the list. I did not talk about the Ohio State quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. He's a solid college quarterback. That's about it. He doesn't throw it at an NFL level. And if you look at Urban Meyer's quarterbacks over the years, there's only been one that was a good NFL quarterback, and that is Alex Smith. But the rest of the guys, you have Tim Tebow, 
Cardell Jones, who just got cut. Braxton Miller, who got cut. JT Barrett just got cut in the NFL. A bunch of guys that have never really been successful in the NFL. Only one ever. Alex Smith, his first quarterback, uh, has been successful in the NFL. So I don't, I don't believe in Dwayne Haskins. He's not really worth paying attention to because he's not really an NFL quarterback. So to recap, um, the West Virginia quarterback, Will Greer, was, had a really positive performance this week. Auburn's quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, had a positive performance. Jake Browning, University of Washington's quarterback, had a negative performance. Justin Herbert, Oregon's quarterback, had a negative performance. Drew Locke, um, Missouri's quarterback, is just neutral. He played a Division I AA school. Not a lot you can take away there. He's supposed to dominate. Um, Shea Patterson, Michigan's quarterback, had a negative uh, first start. It didn't look good. Uh, I'm going to give Joe Burrow a, a first-half positive, second-half neutral. I just we LSU got really conservative. I don't want to put that all on Joe Burrow, but his first half looked unbelievable. Khalil Tate, Arizona's quarterback, was, had a negative performance. Um, Alabama's quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, had a positive performance. JT Daniels, I'm going to give a positive score. And Colorado's quarterback, Steven Montez, was the breakout of the week. I did not expect him to do well. And he had an incredibly positive performance for the University of Colorado. All right, let's shift gears. We have three stories left I want to talk about. And then I am going to bed. It is late. It is, God, it's 9.30. I've been courting. So I'm so sorry. The guys next door, I apologize, man. I just... I feel like it's so loud. I hate this. Um, Davis Webb was cut by the New York Giants. Davis Webb is the 2013 third round, 2017 third round pick at quarterback the Giants selected to, uh, last year. I was so critical when the Giants passed on Sam Darnold. I've been harping on that over and over and over again. And uh, I said, look, Davis Webb isn't the guy. Kyle Valletta isn't the guy. And I kept getting Giants fans retaliating. I'd say, if I said Kyle Valletta wasn't the guy, they'd move, this, they'd move the uh, finish line again and say, well, we know that Eli Manning sucks. We know that Kyle Valletta sucks. But people kept telling me, Davis Webb is the guy. Clearly, Davis Webb didn't work out with the Giants. Um, so I just, I don't know what you're left with. If you're a Giants fan, you should be concerned because they don't have a future plan. They have Kyle Valletta, who maybe is the guy. He didn't really look good in the preseason. Alex Tanney is like a, a trick shot quarterback on their roster as well. They kept him interesting, but clearly the Giants, I guess, have faith in Eli Manning. I don't know. I, I just when I watched that Davis Webb was cut by the Giants, it just compounded the belief to me that they should have drafted Sam Darnold. I don't know how, if you're a Giants fan, you don't believe that the Giants should have drafted Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold so clearly is a great, great quarterback. He's going to be a great NFL quarterback. And he's going to be a great quarterback for your rival team, the New York Jets. So if I'm a Giants fan, watching Davis Webb get cut hurt me a lot. It made me, it would make me concerned. Ooh, should we have taken Sam Darnold? Yeah, probably. You probably should have taken Sam Darnold in the NFL draft. 49ers running back Jarek McKinnon just tore his ACL. He's now out for the season. And that's... Here's the thing. I don't want to overreact to this because, um, A, there's no really rhyme or reason. It just kind of sucks. It was a non-contact play. Really disappointing. It's not like he got hurt in the preseason. It just is a a bummer. I mean, if you're a 49er fan, it, it just stinks. But I don't want to overreact to this. Look, this is a guy you signed for four years, $30 million. Um, but I think the 49ers are still building. They're not going to... I think if you're a 49er fan, here's your response. This is not the year the 49ers were going to make the playoffs. This is not the year the 49ers had a shot at a Super Bowl. In my opinion, I don't believe that. I know, I know 49ers fans think I'm wrong about that. They're really excited. Um, 
if I'm a 49er fan, my hope is that Jarek McKinnon gets healthy and comes back for next year. I want Jarek McKinnon next year or the year after that, but this year is, eh, I don't know. I hope he's healthy next season because next year is really the year the 49ers are going to make a push at the Super Bowl or at a playoff berth. Um, I think this year the 49ers are going to go 9-7, and seven, just missed the playoffs. I think this even really confirms my belief, um, but I don't know. I, I'm, if I'm a 49er fan, I'm disappointed about Jarek McKinnon, yes, but I think it kind of speaks to the fact, look, the 49ers are still a year away from really popping and really having the great season everybody wants from them. Okay, last story of the day. I have a headache. Ugh. That's what talking does. <clears throat> okay, this is this is big news in the NBA, if you ask me. Um, and the LA Lakers finally got rid of their terrible, terrible Luol Deng contract. The Luol Deng contract, they signed like a four-year deal, $72 million a couple years ago. It was awful. It was like when that contract was signed, everyone in the league went, why did you do that? Because now you're locked into this contract, massive contract with Luol Deng. Um, so Luol Deng agreed to give back $7.5 million in his contract buyout with the Lakers. This is so great. What this means is the Lakers now have 30, the, the Lakers will clear $38 million in salary cap for their 2019 free agency period next July. This, what this means is the Lakers can now give a max contract to a guy like Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, even Jimmy Butler. But really, it'd be so cool if Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant came to the Lakers. And the reason why this is such a big story is it gives the Lakers a chance to win a Super Bowl, with the, with, to win a championship with LeBron James. I know the Lakers' expectations are super high, but right now, you look, you have a bunch of young guys on LeBron. You really need another star if you want a shot to win a championship to beat teams like the Celtics or the Rockets or the Warriors. I know you have LeBron. But the fact that they have now $38 million cleared up for their 2019 free agency period is a big, big deal. and means that the Lakers' hopes of winning a championship just went up significantly. All right, last thing I want to say is that there's a new documentary I noticed getting released. Uh, it's called Student Athlete. It's releasing on HBO uh, October 2nd. And what it does is it highlights my biggest issue with college football. I, I just, I really struggle with college sports because they make a ton of money off guys who aren't really getting compensated for their work. Look, they, a, a football player at a university will earn a ton of money for the school, and all he really gets in return is like $30,000 worth of compensation in a degree that really doesn't help him. Because people don't realize, at a lot of schools, at some schools, like if you go to Stanford, you're getting a legitimate degree. Some schools like Oregon, or I, I don't, I don't want to put names in anyone's mouth, but some schools really do kind of go through the motions. They give you easy classes that you're not really learning anything. You're not really getting prepared for a career. You graduate college, and then you have nothing to show for it. You work at like a, a literally, no joke, a lot of former Division I athletes work in warehouses like packing shelves or driving a forklift. And I just, I've always really struggled with college football because people, it's kind of a false promise. They say, well, you're getting a degree that's really going to help you. And they don't. They, they don't really get the degree that's going to help them. They get pushed through this kind of rat race and it's it's a mess so i wanted to point out there's a cool documentary again called student athlete releasing on hbo on october 2nd i don't want to harp on it but this is a a topic i'm really curious about and i just love to know someday i want to figure this out actually how many guys graduated from alabama how many guys won national championships with alabama and did a bunch of big stuff and work in like a warehouse or a fast food restaurant or don't make a lot of money because their degree didn't actually help them that's what i'd love to know 
about college football. What is the success rate of a guy graduating college football and how well do they do? I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that the system really helps them that much. It doesn't do a lot of them a lot of service. All right. My name is Zach Schaumler. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. If you like the show as much as I do, help me grow by telling your friends about the show. My name is Zach Schaumler. Um, I have a headache. I'm tired. I've been up all day trying to get the show done. And uh, I frankly feel really uncomfortable recording this late at night because I know people are listening. I think I'm talking really fast. I'm just not comfortable. So Wednesday will be better. Wednesday, the show is going to be this. We're going to talk about, I'm going to share my revised predictions for the NFL season. I, I've really gone, I've been working really hard this weekend as Memorial Day weekend. Uh, all I did really was watch the Jack Ryan show on Amazon, a bunch of football and work on my revisions for um, the NFL season. But I'm going to really update my predictions. A couple teams, I'm going to give them better records. I'm going to lower some records for a couple other teams and uh, just make some adjustments to my NFL predictions. That'll be on Wednesday. Remember, you can subscribe, uh, share, whatever it is. My name is Zach Schaumler. Have a great day. Bam, 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 we are done. Bye.